We are studying Hebrews 6 here on the Radio Bible Course, and we're happy that you joined us. The context here deals with the promise of God and God's reliability. Listen to what he writes in verse 13 of Hebrews 6. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. Why the example of Abraham here? Why not David, or Noah, or Moses? Because Abraham, above all others in the Old Testament, is the person most like the believer in the New Testament. Since the author has been addressing believers in chapter 6, some of whom seem discouraged because there are no signs of God's victory over evil, because they are enduring persecution and that's increasing, and the Roman government had firm control of the world, there is a clear need for exhortation regarding hope and patience. Now, chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, set the stage for the example of Abraham. 11 and 12 said, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Unlike Paul's use of Abraham as an illustration of how we might obtain right standing before God forever, this author dwells on Abraham's patience. Now, Paul in Romans 4 and Galatians 3 argues for righteousness through faith as seen in the life of Abraham. And, of course, most of us are familiar with that passage, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Since he was justified by doing nothing other than believing, it is reason that we also get right with God through faith alone. These Hebrew Christians have righteousness imputed to them just as Abraham did, but they see no signs of the promised kingdom over which the Messiah is to rule, according to the Old Testament prophets, nor is hope still alive in their hearts for Christ's return. For his saints, persecution did that to those Christians in the first century. They seem to have lost hope. And so the writer is telling them here, beginning with verse 13, Let me remind you of Abraham, says the author, and at the same time, let me vindicate the truthfulness of God who made the promises that apply to Abraham as well as to us. In Romans chapter 4, Paul asks, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And later in the chapter, it tells us, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. But the words, it was reckoned to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. 
It will be reckoned to us who believe in him that raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was put to death for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. So Paul in the first century now is looking back 2,000 years to the time of Abraham, and he sees a man of faith. And he knows that the Christians in the first century can profit from the example of Abraham. And so he discusses him throughout this fourth chapter. Abraham was a man of faith. He trusted the promise of God. God made a number of promises to Abraham, the first one coming in Genesis 12, verse 7. He gave him a promise in connection with the call from Ur of the Chaldees. In Genesis 15, he gives him a promise concerning his seed and the many descendants that he would have. In Genesis 17, beginning with verse 5, God expresses the covenant regarding his offspring, that he would make of him a nation and give him and his descendants the land of Canaan. After the destruction of Sodom in Genesis chapter 18, the promise is repeated to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 22, beginning with verse 15, God swears that he will keep his promises. Now listen to that text, Genesis 22, beginning with verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. God swore he wanted to convince Abraham that what he said he meant, and he wanted to reinforce it, so he said surely he would do it. Now notice that God does all the talking. We don't read anything about Abraham making a pledge to God, and we find no promise of him committing himself to God. That's because this was an unconditional covenant that God made with Abraham, and it all depended upon God. Abraham didn't have to fulfill anything. An unconditional covenant means that only one party must fulfill obligations. And what are the obligations? Only what God here said, that he would bless him, he'd give him numerous descendants, and he'd give him the land of Canaan, and one of his offspring would be a blessing to the whole world. And of course, that speaks about Jesus Christ. Now, the writer to the Hebrews is not simply trying to extol Abraham as a great man, nor is he simply trying to show that God kept his promise. He's making an application, and that's the purpose of this entire paragraph here, to show the Hebrews that what God promised to Abraham and what God promised to them, he will keep to them just as he kept it to Abraham. Now, if you have interpreted Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 8, to mean that a person can lose the salvation that he had, 
then you will have a real problem with what follows here in this section of Hebrews 6. From time to time on this subject, I tell people, yes, you can lose your salvation, but you cannot lose his salvation. If you're saving yourself, of course, you can lose it. But if you are saved by the promise of God, which required nothing other than believing in him, then you can't very well lose the salvation that God gave you as a gift without any works. Now, God has not given man the right to define salvation according to human standards of merit. The natural man will do that, because that's all he knows. He thinks good people go to heaven, and if you want to get to heaven, try to be good. He thinks God gives salvation to those who deserve it, and those who try hard. But the Bible tells us that God justifies the ungodly who come to him in faith. Now, not strong faith, not lots of faith, but instead faith in the promiser. You don't have to have a lot of anything. All you need is simple faith in the one who has a lot of everything, a lot of integrity, the maximum amount you can trust God You can have trust in the promiser. Salvation can only be by grace if you do not deserve it. So why are people trying to impress God that they do deserve it? Because they don't understand salvation by grace. Grace means not deserved. It means something not merited. Grace is always an undeserved unearned gift, and it is just the opposite of what you deserve. I'll tell you what you have earned. The Bible declares it. The wages of sin is death. We've all earned that, but thank God for the rest of the verse. Romans 6.23, while the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what's the purpose of introducing here the fact of God's oath to Abraham? Well, simply to assure those who have wandered back to reliance on Judaism or who have developed some doubts about faith alone and think that they need additional help from the Jewish rituals and sacrifices. These people are wavering on the fact that God's word is reliable. The author's point is this, since God makes promises, they will be fulfilled. You can trust him, but don't expect everything to happen immediately. Be like Abraham. Wait and be patient. How long did Abraham wait before his promised child was born? About 25 years. And he was an old, old man when God made the promise, and so was his wife Sarah. Abraham was 100 years old when Sarah gave birth to Isaac, the child of promise. So the writer here wants these Hebrews to be like Abraham. Wait. Wait patiently for God to do what he promised to do. Be content with God's planning of the future calendar of events. He knows what he's doing. God didn't swear because he lacked credibility or had a character weakness. We see that in verse 1. 
For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Did God need to swear? No, he swore because we have a problem, not him. We know we can't depend on man, and we often transfer our lack of trust in man to God. We doubt him like we doubt men. And yet John wrote in his first epistle, If we believe the testimony of man, the testimony of God is greater. So there are times when we do trust men. We do, however, know what God knows, that all men are liars. But God cannot lie. It would be a contradiction of his holy character. God is the standard by which truth is measured. He is completely trustworthy. God promised eternal life, and he cannot lie. Can you be sure of your salvation then? Yes. Your salvation is good as the promise, and the promise is good as the character of God, and the character of God is as good as God himself. He is completely trustworthy. Our time is gone, and I do want to tell you that there are many other teaching tapes in addition to the teaching you get on this program that will benefit you. Write for our free brochure called Teaching Tapes. The Radio Bible Course is an independent Bible teaching ministry. It is supported by friends and listeners. We welcome your questions and your comments. If you are enjoying this program, please tell a friend. Until next week, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.com.